the temperature outside is rising, but that doesn't mean that Pastor and Har Pastor Harley and I have fire and brimstone lessons for you. Um, as we finish off today, the book of Philippians, we, we well, we're gospel gospel motivation all the way through. In fact, uh, that's what chapter four is all about. Uh, thank you for being patient, listeners. Uh, um, just with personal schedule, with my family schedule and things going on in the congregations, kind of had to take a little bit of a break here. Um, also going to take a little bit of a break for the summer, but Pastor Harley had explained that previously. Uh, but really looking forward to digging into Philippians chapter 4 today, finishing up the book, uh, and just really uh, clinging and cherishing uh, the joy the Christian joy that Paul espouses is in this entire letter. Any thoughts, Pastor Harley? Um, other than um, it almost feels like hell and fire and brimstone out there. Um, even though we might not have it in our message, if you go outside, you can still feel some of that heat um, as it radiates off the pavement. Um, it's been warm. It's been warm, and I think uh, we need some rain, some of that uh, sweet balm to, to sort of lighten the mood. So I'm looking forward to the discussion today. Once again, it's great to be back with you, dear listeners. Hopefully, you're enjoying the beginning of summer. Um, I just want to dive into Chapter 4. Um, chapter 4, we come back to, there's just something that, that really has caught my attention um, as I have taught this if we uh, in a, quite a few Bible classes in the last six months as I have. Been, we've been going through this in our podcast, and as... Uh, uh, just been reading through it. I've been making a, 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 a hab really a habit, a practice to to read through the book of Philippians uh, um, weekly. Uh, just some one more thing jumped out at me recently after just really really digging into this book. Um, chapter four uh, really Paul picks up again on that concept of joy, which I would indeed pick for the theme of uh, of the book of Philippians. And uh, whether it's joy, rejoice, and we see that word rejoice again here so much here in the end of the chapter. Um, when I, as I'm recalling my New Testament Greek, this word for rejoice um, really is uh, is a Greek greeting. Um, uh, it's a form. It 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 derives. Uh, uh, it, it it shares the same word or from comes from the same word family. For the um, for the for the Greek greeting that they gave to each other, their hello, it also served not only as their hello, but their goodbye. And it, it as Paul is finishing up this letter once again, he's not only bringing us back to where true joy um, really comes from, but it's also a farewell in the letter, a beginning. You know, once again, joy, joy in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. And again, we finish up with that. Um, and what a, a, a comforting Christian message that we it is for us as God's people. And maybe a good uh, reminder to, uh, to, to, to focus again and to, and to be uh, informed where real joy comes from. Um, and that... Just because we don't feel joy, it doesn't mean that there's something amiss. Well, and I and I and and I, I think just to piggyback off of what you're saying here is is I think um, Paul bookends um, the this whole thing of of a, the whole book of Philippians. He he kind of bookends it with this concept of joy, and and one of the concept you know the the whole concept as he starts you know he 
he prays with joy. So he 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 begins the whole book with with his joy being expressed over the people, right? And then calls them to have joy. As he comes to the end here, uh, starting in like verse four, he calls the people to rejoice. And then again in verse ten, he refers back to his joy um, that he has in 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 the rejoicing that he has now in in their life and what he's been able to share with them. So you have this bookend uh, where he began it with with his joy and then he he led to, hey, you should rejoice. Then he comes to the end and he says, hey, rejoice still. This is all this great stuff you get to rejoice about. And then he he moves it into, and I still rejoice. And I, and I rejoice all the more because of everything that you've done. One of the things I also want to piggyback up uh, uh, sort of on is, is you brought up this idea of feeling joy. And and I think one first of all, I hate I, I kind of hate that idea of feeling, especially when it comes to to religion, because religion, faith especially, and, and I should say Christian religion, is not based off of feeling. It's based off of proclamation, right? It's based off of promise, it based off it's based off of of an established truth, not not something that is so wishy-washy and up and down as feelings. But we live in this world where we 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 love this idea of feelings. I feel this, I feel that, I feel I feel happy, I feel sad, I feel all these different things that we say we feel. And yet joy is is something that surpasses feeling, right? And when you when you really look at joy, um you could be joyful in the midst of sadness. Because joy is a state, not a feeling. Um, and and I think this is one of those things that comes through and shines through with the Philippians um, and in and, and Paul's letter to the Philippians is that there is a state of joy that you're in no matter what you're going through. You, you see that right in verse 1 of chapter 4 when Paul calls uh, the Philippians, my brothers, my joy and my crown. Um, he, he personalizes this. We're right there. That shows that joy is not a feeling. Um, that joy, uh, that 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 joy is is a concrete term. And uh, and again, you the so all of the concretes that come up uh, in, uh, in 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 the book of Philippians, and we see here in chap in chapter four as well. Uh, Paul finds his concrete, the, the, the concrete things in this. Um, uh, again, uh, agree, uh, agreement in the Lord, uh, um, coming together, uh, working together. Um, also going on, uh, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds. Um, he goes on, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I have been paid in full. I am fully supplied. My God will fully supply your every need. All of this concreteness is found in Christ and what he does. And that's the concreteness of joy. Only a Christian experiences joy. And I love what you said, Will. I love what you said that Christians experience joy even in the depths of sorrow. Well, and and I think Paul's life is is I mean especially as he's writing it. Remember this is a prison epistle. He's writing this in the midst of a time when you would say you would think you're going to experience the least amount of joy, right? I mean, you think, okay, being in prison, being 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 held, however he was held in house arrest or or whatever, would be the least joyful experience. But yet he is he is finding joy in the sense that he is is given this opportunity to to um, share. He's given an opportunity to reach out. They are giving an, and and he finds joy in their opportunity to serve. That that there is a that that even surpassing his own abilities to do things. God has given them an opportunity to serve and to interact in faith, and that is a joyful thing. Um, that 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 state of of seeing their faith grow and be a, a working out into the community and into the world, um, and I think all of this is a part of of dealing with that state of joy. I see it in Christian funerals. You see it in Christian funerals too. Um, that idea of of a joy that remains even in the depths of sadness or in the depths of sorrow. Um, for for any of us uh, who who have either stood by or have 
had the opportunity to bear witness to the passing of of a beloved fellow Christian in the Lord um, from this life, we've stood there and we have seen the tears fall, right? Maybe we have shed them ourselves. Um, and, and there is a sadness, and rightfully so, a sadness that says, um, this is not the way that God intended it to be. This is not the way that, that, that when everything was created um, and the Lord stood back and said, this is good, that this was the way it was supposed to play out. So we see the effects of sin upon the world, and it is a sad thing. We also see someone who had a light who shined it in that world, taken from the world, where it now seems more dark. That being said, there is also behind that the joy, right, of this loved one no longer is in pain. This loved one is no longer suffering. This loved one now stands with her Lord or with his Lord, and and they are in his glory and eternal embrace, um, that that there is such joy, and that so much to the fact that we would never ask them to come back. We would never ask them to come back and suffer what they've suffered or to live in this world the way it is now. Um, that, that, that would be the epitome of, of, of evil on our part to say, Lord, we want them back. Um, Mary and Martha, right? Um, Martha in general, uh, coming out to see the Lord, saying, Lord, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Um, uh, do you believe in the resurrection? Of course I believe in the resurrection, that he will rise again at the last day. Uh, and the Lord says, I am the resurrection and the life. Um, there's the joy that comes into that. And I think that joy bleeds in, as we've said, into Paul's words as he's talking about the struggles and, and the things. The church of Philippi, as we said, was not a wealthy church. They they, they were a very poor church um, in many respects. Um, they were a beaten down and abused church in many respects. And, and yet we have um, this whole book of rejoicing and joy. We see- in this chapter, the whole book is, seems to be this way. Chapter four, especially, is paradoxical, meaning it, it seems to be so you have statements that conflict with one another. One of the statements in chapter four that Paul has said that, as always, and again, this is one that always gets the attention of my sinful nature. When he says, uh, um, he says, I have learned to be content in any circumstances, which I find myself, I know what it is to live in, in, I know what it is to learn, live, sorry, live in humble circumstances, and I know what it is to have more than enough. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, while being full or hungry, while having plenty or not enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It kind of reminds me of something um, you know, where, where, where Paul is, it, it goes, Paul is expounding upon rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, give thanks in all circumstances. You, in my sinful nature says to me, I'm supposed to be upbeat when things are at their lowest. That sounds to the unbeliever, to the sinful nature. That sounds like utter insanity to... Um, to the uh, to the man right now that preaches the Joel Osteen, he says he everything that he writes about everything that he preaches about espouses something espouses the exact opposite of this. Right. Uh, this is uh, where where Paul is at in his walk of faith. Uh, here is amazing that he. Again, he finds joy. He finds contentment um, because the Lord is there, because the Lord never leaves, because he never forsakes, um, because uh, of Jesus' body and blood given and shed for him in, with, and under the bread and the wine, um, because of the means of grace in the words spoken. Um, Paul sees that uh, that while everything seems to be a whirlwind about him, he is found sheltered in the eye of the st- storm, the eye of the hurricane, that eye of the hurricane being Jesus. Well, and, and you know, I, I think it bears being said on this topic that Paul's not saying that he he blissfully walked through life not having a care in the world or blissfully walked through life saying that when they was beaten, 
uh, he had a smile on his face or that he never cringed or cried or he's not saying any of that. What he's saying is that underneath it all, um, he recognized who was in control and underneath it all, he recognized that, that he was always taken care of. And, and I, I think, you know, sometimes in life we try to convince ourselves of that, but really don't truly believe it. Um, you know, we see bad things that happen in our life. We, we hit those bumpy roads and, and we always followed up after we've complained, right? After we've complained, we followed up, but I know God has a plan, but, but so often I wonder, because I've said it myself and I've had to backtrack and really think about it. Do I really believe that? Because if I am complaining as much as I'm complaining and if I am, and I am, and I'm chafing under the, the weight of whatever God has sent my way. And then I just quickly followed up to make it sound good. Well, God has a plan. Do I really believe that? Do I, do I really believe that? Or, or am I, am I trying to convince myself of it? You know, that's a good question to, to ask because I was, you know, I was just thinking here, we have a tendency with, with uh, people from the Bible, with believers from of old, we, we, have a tendency to be almost Roman Catholic with them and say, okay, yeah, they're saints and they were perfect. Uh, that is not the case. As I'm thinking about if we would do an honest character assessment of the the Apostle Paul of being saint, both saint and sinner, um, in court, of course, in Paul's epistles, we don't see, uh, we don't see, big glimpses of his sinful nature. But let's say, for example, in Galatians, we see a little bit of it when he's in his righteous anger, he's dealing with the, those of the circumcision group, those re, re, saying salvation requires circumcision. And he says, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You see a glimpse of Paul's sinful nature there. Um, we probably get a better, a clearer glimpse of Paul's sinful nature in the book of Acts. And I'm when I'm talking about his sinful nature, I'm talking post-conversion. Sure. Not pre-conversion, post-conversion. Um, I think of uh, one in particular um, with his dispute over over John Mark. Well and that was that was uh, after conversion, right? Yep, that was after conversion. Yeah. Um, where again, this was a personality thing, right? But he um, had a hard time working with him after he left on that first missionary journey. He said, "I can't trust yes. him to to stay." Um, and I, I mean, and I'm not criticizing Paul for that. Um, yet, at the you know, but there we see glimpses of Paul's sinful nature. Um, we see, uh, a, I see, and maybe. I don't. Maybe others don't see see it in this, but uh, when Paul in first, in first or second Corinthians, when he says, "I pleaded with his thorn in the flesh, and pleaded with the Lord to take it away," and Jesus said to him, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Uh, we're not given details of Paul's pleading. Um, we see how he reacts after Jesus' conversion when he says, therefore, after Jesus' words to him, uh, words of encouragement, Paul says, therefore, I will rejoice all the more in my weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Was he feeling that way before when he was pleading? No. And and he was he feeling that way every day after? Yes. Yes. Even though he uh, recognizes it, was he feeling that way every day after he woke up in that thorn in the flesh? Oh, this is a great thing. I'm happy for it today, you know. Um, and, and my word of caution here is just let and you and you brought that and you brought this whole thought up is we call him Saint Paul. Um, I'm going to tell you this: when you read Paul's words in the epistle, he brings about justification by faith in Christ alone very clearly. But we see Paul struggle with feeling that. Oh, absolutely. And I think you have, I, and I, and that's a good thing to see because, again, you you rest on 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 what justification is—a declaration. Yes. And, and the joy that it brings to know that, despite my feelings, despite my discomfort, despite what the world might want to say, this is a truth yes. because it's been declared to be so. 
in our pastor's gathering this morning, I may brought up something a little bit off color about the thing with feelings and, and, uh, some people I, do, may have I, I, I believe it had something to do with the sermon text. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, having to do with one of the, 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 the former President Trump's uh, uh, banners uh, with about something blank your feelings. Um, feelings, you know, feelings come and go. Um, if we base our life on feelings, we are going to that's really that's really a mental illness it really is because feelings go up and feelings go down and so again feeling the saved feeling the joy of salvation those those are there are times when those are strong but you know what those aren't the, the, there's just as many times if not more when we feel the opposite and that is why it comes back to declaration word promises of god fulfilled promises in Christ Jesus, because those are things that do not change. Um, and just, and I think like these, the, the chapter four, the word, all, the, the, it, all of scripture, but right now that just that we're talking about Philippians, the entire letter is something that speaks to what our culture has become today. Our postmodern culture has become one. We make decisions or people, we make decisions based on feeling. Fact be damned. Well, and 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 I'm glad that you kind of went in this direction to talk about our modern culture today, because I think Paul also ref- references some of the issues that we're facing today, or at least speaks against it. Uh, in in that section, starting at verse eight in our lesson, right? Um, what does he say? Going eight and nine, he says, "Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable." If anything is excellent and if anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. The thing that you learned, received, heard, and saw in me, keep doing these things and the God of peace will be with you. And notice what he's saying is he's, he's, he's not going, hey, follow whatever you're feeling for the day. He's not saying, hey, do whatever the wind of change is bringing about. Follow whatever the news story is on multimedia and, and whatever the news ticker is saying on Fox News or CNN or whatever you decide that you want to follow. What he's saying is go back to what is, is, is fact. Go back to pure. Go back to going back to what you were saying, the, 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 the teaching that is unchanging. Go back to that and and live off of that, um, whether you feel like it or not, whether whether you think this is going to be good or not. Um, this and is what you live of, in, and the God of peace will be with you. Shalom. Yeah. Um, that term, that beginning and ending, that meeting and departing greeting that the Jews gave to each other. Absolutely. Well, we'll take it a step further. You know, you, you deal with, you know, we talk about these feelings, and I, and I try to place it into something that was uh, easily understandable by married couples. And and so for married couples, right, we we go through the wedding ceremony, and, and you usually get married because you love the other person. I mean, that's typical why you get married. And in this whole idea of love, love is a promise. Love is not a feeling. Love, love is not a, uh, an emotional roller coaster. Love is a declaration of promise that I'm going to put you first in, in my life. There's times that when you're married, you wake up and you roll over and, and you see your spouse and you're like, I don't have those feelings. You know, the feelings of love that we associate. There's times you don't have it. But I come back to these words of Paul, and just in this example, it's, I'm not saying it's the only example, but in this, in this example, you come back to what is honorable, what is good, what is right, what is pure. I made a promise that I'm going to love this person, and I'm going to live to that promise because it's honorable and it is good. And you know what? It makes the rest of my attitude different that day. It makes it, the rest of my life with that person different. Um, you know, when I'm, when I'm looking at that person and saying, I made a promise, a fact that I'm going to be this for that person and I'm going to do this for that person because it is honorable and it is good, there's a level of peace that enters into that relationship, right? Um, and now you can expand that out into all areas. You, you know, the golden rule God gave us, treat, you know, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You know, it, it's basic. Um, but that's following very, very closely to the very law, summing up the law, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that is an honorable thing to, to love somebody and say, I'm going to put them first and, and I'm going to look out for them. 
And, and it brings a peace. If someone else knows, hey, that person always looks out for other people, there, there's a peace, right, that they have with you, that, that God gives into this relationship that he, he has. Um, now, are we going to be perfect at it? Absolutely not. No way. Uh, we are sinful people. We're going to slip. We're going to fall. Um, but what does, what does Paul say in this exact letter to help fill in that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, I can't do it myself. I can't make that change in myself. I can't lift that weight, but I can with Christ. Can can we talk a little bit now that, and again, this had probably, this happens to be probably one of the most quoted verse by Christians from Paul's letter to the Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to tell you that as I've listened to Christians quote this, this is probably one of the most misinterpreted Bible passages I've heard, where people were where, uh, it where I, I have found a lot with with young people. It looks like this: I can be anything I want to be because I have Christ. That is true to a point, okay. But let's not delude ourselves into thinking. Uh, let's just go. Let's go with this. Uh, the conversation I had as a young, as a child with, with my father. Uh, Dad, I want to be an astronaut. I love you, son, but that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, why, Dad? Uh, you suck at math, um, and uh, you don't like math. It's not part of your being. You, it's not one of your gifts. That's not, that's, that, that's okay. And it's okay. But if you want to be an astronaut, that math and lots of math is a requirement. That's not you, son. You, the Lord has other things in mind for you. Uh, we live in a postmodern society today too, where even Christians get influenced on this with this myth I can be anyone. I can be anything I want to be. My children can be anything they want to be, and then you see this. Then they'll use wonderful Bible passage to back that up. That is not what that's saying. Well, and and actually, you know, put it into context because what is Paul says these words after two really and and really two paragraphs of very difficult encouragement. The first one is to, like I just read, to gather around what is good, pure, honorable, um, all the things that everyone is like, that's not fun. I, I don't want to do that. So he, he gives that encouragement um, to, to stay and remain in those things. And then he also gives the encouragement of contentment, of recognizing that, that in any stage that, stage that you're in, just as, using himself as the example, but any stage that you're in, be content that God is, is in control and Jesus is looking out for you. Following those two very, very difficult encouragements, he then sums up how can you do that? And he says you can and, and he he he's he referenced I mean he's already brought up a bunch of things and he says I can do all of these things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. He I mean I don't I guess when you look at it in the context, I don't see this as I don't see this as as you know the spirit opening up the floodgates and saying that the sky's the limit, um, because that that would be counter to everything the scriptures teach and preach. Um, but it is limiting it and saying um, all of these things that are good and wholesome for you, God will strengthen you to be a part of. And 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 oh, you want a heart of contentment, and you don't think it's possible? God will help you through Christ to bring that heart of contentment. Um, and and you want us to you want to avoid the the traps of 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 the world that will lead us away from what is pure, good, and holy. In Christ, you can you you can be strengthened in doing what is right. Um, I mean, I see that as more of the example that that Paul is trying to to to. I mean, it, it would seem odd to me if it wasn't uh, the way that he constructs it all. It would seem odd that he wasn't intending to reference to those things that are very difficult um, to stay close to in our spiritual walk. And I think that's where we, we go wrong in, 
in in removing it out of context. When we pull that verse out of context, you like you said, you get to that idea of well, I can do anything. This is you know, I have Christ on my side. I can do anything. Yeah, I I don't I don't think that was the context in which Paul spoke those words. And again, Paul is not preaching a prosperity gospel. Um, scripture does not preach a prosperity gospel. When we look at the whole, the entirety of Scripture, it preaches it preaches Christians bearing the cross. Right, right, and and, and in bearing that cross, it's hard, it's tough, but yet there's joy. Um, and that is, and that. That is something that's pertinent for us to hear, especially in these times as, as God's people. You know what? There, what, I'm not saying we haven't borne the cross. We, there are different. All, all of life is, uh, is has has the burden of the cross, um, but also the blessing of the cross. Uh, but my point being is this: is that. Uh, um, we look at all the blessings we've had as American Christians in this wonderful country of ours. And for, let's just place it this way for three centuries, Christians in this country, in this, in this part of the world have lived basically persecution free that, that free from that cross of persecution. It appears that that cross of persecution is very close, or could be. It's scary to a lot of Christians across the denominations, and uh, uh, it's it's scary to me. This is another reason why I chose to to study the Book of Philippians uh, uh, because of this. Because my sinful nature does not like to hear about the burden of the cross. My my Christ. My sinful nature does not like to hear uh, the words of Jesus that says, whoever wants to come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. My sinful nature doesn't want to hear about that. My sinful nature wants the smooth, trouble-free road of unchallenged faith. And, okay? and, go, a step, and go a step deeper than that, not just unchallenged faith, but also also the smooth road that keeps getting easier because I'm yes. not content. I'm not content. I'm not content to have, you know, the Chevy volt low, whatever the low man Chevy is. I want, I want the Cadillac and, and then the Cadillac isn't good enough. I want the next one up. You know, it's, it's the, it's the sinful nature that says, okay, it's not that it's just easy, but now it has to be even easier. And right, and right now, I've noticed, you watch Twitter, you watch Facebook, there are a lot of Christians losing their insides over our culture shift today. And our culture's been shifting for a long time. It's been teetering on the brink for a long time. But just because now it seems to be that there's a microscope on it, I see Christians losing and how they're dealing with this troubles me because I don't want to deal with it in a sinful manner. I don't want to deal with it in a manner that doesn't give Christ glory. Um, I don't want to deal with it in a manner that's going to bring un bring bad publicity, shine up shine up bad light on him. Um, and 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 I you know for example social media and there's a lot of well-meaning Christians on there thinking that they're going to be oh this is my platform to fix things listeners I'm not condemning social media it can be it can be a good thing but if if I think that I'm going to change opinion on social media. I have, I'm living one of the biggest fallacies in this world today. Opinions, opinions change as God, as Christ is shared. And Christ is best shared not with the internet between two human beings, but face to face. 
Well, and that's how, and that's exactly what Paul says when he sums up the last paragraphs of the letter, right? He 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 gives joy to the Philippians by saying that that their greatest their greatest act of worship, their greatest act of showing their faith, was sending help, being there face to face with Paul, um, in in any way that they could, and suffering with him, and bringing that and and helping in that way to take up some of that load. So much of social media today echoes the words of James when he talks about the attitude of people. Uh, I wish you well, go on and be happy. And when he talks about faith that works, um, where and this is what Paul's talking about, faith that works. Uh, this is something that, uh, that your former district president, my current one, likes to speak about with when he talks about the fleshy Christ. Right. Um, you know, Christ who took on human flesh and touched people and spoke with them and went out to them. This is the type of faith that we live, that we mimic um, again. out. Uh, and you know what? Again, not condemning social media, but the best, but let me, I'm going to tell you, dear listeners, the best ministry does not get carried out on social media. But, but you know, and, and I think, you know, you, you brought up James, so we can talk about it. C.S. Lewis paints this in a really in a very beautiful picture. Uh, in the Screwtape Letters, um, he, he paints, um, if I remember correctly, it's the first of the Screwtape Letters, where, where um, C.S. Lewis paints this picture of, there was a time in our culture when belief dictated action that when someone was convinced of a belief, it altered the very actions in which in, in the life in which they lived. And, and I think you are you're highlighting something that that we don't see, but we see in the Philippian church, which is and, and which is praised and, and and Paul rejoices over. They had a conviction of the truth of who Christ is and what Christ has done and is doing for them. And it translates, that belief translated into action. It wasn't separated from it. It translated into action that they lived it in every every place that they went. And it was encouraged. You and I have, and I have said for years that Christianity was, is, and always is to be a culture. Yes. Uh, that's one of its downfalls in American society is that in many ways it has ceased to be a culture, um, it's really a it, 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 it's it, it's something to be aware of because not it not holding up other religions over Christianity, but you look at Judaism in many aspects, it is a culture. You look at Islam in most of its action aspects, it is a culture, misguided, but. It, it, it is a culture that actually dominates how they think and how they act. With Christianity, and I'm talking about it as a whole in Western civilization, it has ceased being a culture Something that has that something that influences the words and the actions. Well, and and Christianity ceases, cease, and and for many people, Christianity ceases to be even a topic of discussion around the dinner table. You know, there used to be a time when 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 families would leave the church, and that day they would discuss the sermon, they would discuss the readings, they would discuss what they learned in Sunday school or Bible study. Now they leave and they complain about, wow, the, the, the pastor was long-winded and it was really hot in church. Or um, did you see so-and-so and how they were dressed? Or, or they don't even talk about what happened in church at all. And they leave and they are, you know, on to the next thing. Um, and it becomes compartmentalized. And, and this, is, this is so counter to, to what Paul rejoices over in the Philippians. Because what he rejoices over in the Philippian church is is a faith that is lived and breathing um, within the people. And, and you see it in their actions as they live out their actions. 
sharing with Paul, but living out their actions in, in, in his ministry. As they they almost are following him along. As he needed help, they're providing help. As they as as the need arose, they provided for the need. Um, and and he rejoices in this behavior. And I think that's that's something that we are lacking. There is something to be said. Um, well, and and note note that Paul is rejoicing more than just in be, behavior. Sure, he's rejoicing in the culture, which is belief, which is which is heart, which is heart, mouth, and action. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 I I do have to. And and I'm going to bring up a, a very good friend of mine who um is a pastor, and his daughter, um. Fell away from the church, the Lutheran church, not from Christ, but from the Lutheran church, because of what she perceived as, and and I and and there's a long discussion as to whether or not my belief is, and and my friend's belief is, if she was a little misguided in this. But anyway, she, her excuse was, the Lutheran church uh, stands on a hill with the truth of Scripture, but does nothing with it. And, and she said she couldn't be a part of that because she truly and honestly believed, and, and I think in some ways rightfully so, that if that is your conviction, it should be translated in how you live your life and the things you do in life and what you do in life. And she said she didn't see that in the Lutheran Church. She didn't see that. In, re- in reality, that's really a way that one particular generation looks at everything right now, isn't it, with the millennials? Yes, and that's why I said I have I have my my own doubts as to whether that's true. But this is that's what she said she saw was there is a disconnect. You say you have the truth, you you have this wonderful doctrine, but you do nothing with it. Um, and there is some truth to that. I'm not saying it is the truth, but there yeah. is some truth to that. Um, we do have a wonderful doctrine that we do nothing with. Um, we come, we gather around it, we are fed, we oh, are are brought oh, close to Christ. Me, that is something that has plagued the church since uh, since God spoke the words, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Well, yeah, because that is the sinful nature, right? The sinful nature will try to find any excuse to minimize what our vocational call is as Christian. Yes. Um, and, and that is where Philippians, I think— I, I think really does shine is is it it frees us to engage with that overarching vocational call of Christian, um, because you see it, and it's a wonderful thing, and and that's I I think that's the, you know, he, he sums it I I, Paul sums it up really really well um, near that last paragraph he, he says you know he he talks about being fully supplied right but then he says. Um, he says that uh, the people who they have sent, the people who have helped, they're this sweet-smelling fragrance, uh, fragrance, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Um, that that really that that the way they have lived their life in the service to their Lord through faith is this wonderful reaction uh, and this wonderful sacrifice. Um, Old Testament says, uh, the Lord said in the Old Testament, uh, I do not desire a sacrifice, but a true and contrite heart. Um, maybe the maybe the biggest struggle we find with this as American Christians, and it might be a topic for another podcast at some time, is Christianity has always been countercultural. When I'm talking about counter to the culture in in which it dwells, not talking about the Christian culture, but talking about the social culture that it's in. Um, maybe one of the biggest downfalls for, for that in, in American history is that C- Christians stopped being countercultural. We blend we blended in. And I think some of that is because and and, and maybe this, yeah, maybe definitely for a, a, a wider, uh, podcast at a different time, but let me just throw this out here and get your reaction just off the cuff. Is some of that because we have sold um, the nation on the idea that it was a Christian nation, um, and and we called it a Christian and and just follow me on this. We called it a Christian nation 
because we based it on the moral code of the Old Testament law, not but, because it was really on Christ. Hundred percent. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you. And and so what we've done is we've really created a culture of law that we Instead cannot live. Right. That and we can't live up to that law. And so. Instead of a culture of the gospel rooted in Christ who offers free and full forgiveness, enabling us to live for one another, we have created a culture that we have called Christian, and I'm, I'm using air quotes, dear listener, we've called it Christian, but really it is a law of morality that we cannot sustain. And now what we're experiencing in, in today's youth and in today's society is the abandonment of of something that everyone has finally come to the conclusion of, we can't sustain this. So why are we even trying? And that's why we are so appalled at it because we're, especially Christians are so appalled at it. It's like, how could this be? We were trying to, we were trying a grand experiment, which isn't so grand and it's not anything new to live without the gospel and, and say it's Christian, which is exactly what Jerusalem did. And the Jews did when they, they followed through with all the sacrifices and then went out and worshiped the Baals. But they said, we did everything that God required of us. Um, it's, it's, it's this, it's the idea of, of living or saying they're, they're in faith when you're living counter to faith or saying that, that you are a Christian when all you do is, is have a list of laws instead of, of things done in Christ for you. Um, and, and I think this is where Paul shines because Paul frames everything that we can do or should do or have the opportunity to do in the strength and reality that you can only do it in Christ. There's the gospel center right there. That's that's the juicy gospel center in it all. Um, he encourages you to do it, but you can't do it on your own. So God will provide everything you need. Here's Jesus. Here's his son for you. Now you and are. This, and this has been a message that for the entire existence of the world has been countered to every culture. Yes. Including Absolutely. ours. Yep. Yep. I, I was listening um, on talking about Facebook and social media. I was listening on Facebook and there was a, I don't even know what, what it was, but someone had posted a video of, of some um, a Muslim. I don't know what they call their leaders. Uh, their religious leaders. Imams. Imams. There you go. Um, and, uh, he had been saying that, uh, um, one of the, one of the people in the crowd asked a question. It was a woman who asked a question and said, um, that Christians believe that they follow everything that Christ says. And this imam said, well, uh, they don't. And then he went to try to say, well, he went to the, he went to the laws. He just went right back to, to biblical law. And, and he was saying, um, well, and in his whole thing of trying to discredit Christ, which I'm not trying to talk about, but he went back to the law and he says, you know, this is what God says in, in the Bible. This is what God says in the Bible. Do this, do this, do this. Don't eat pork. Don't ha don't, don't drink alcohol. And which a lot of other contention as to if that's really what, what scripture says, I'm not talking about that right now. But anyway, he's pointing out all these different laws and he's saying, this is exactly what Muslims do. We already do these things. So we are more Christian than Christians. Because look at all the things we do. And and I thought to myself as I was watching that video, I'm thinking to myself, this is the society we live in. People are going to listen to that and they're say, oh, he has a point. But that's not Christianity. Christianity isn't a list of doing. It's a list of done in Christ. So now you are strengthened in forgiveness won by Christ to live for someone else. Even though you might make mistakes. And even though you might not do it perfect. Um, you, you are now free to do it because you are content that God is watching out for you in Christ um, because you, you know this is good and, and, and wholesome to do and want to do it for someone else, not just for yourself. And, and I think that's the difference um, when you start looking at it from a cultural perspective, but also from, from I think, the lens that Paul looks at it through, uh, which is through the lens of the cross um, and through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, he looks at this and he says, I can engage with someone else. The Philippians can engage with others, not because of, of a law or a mandate. And, that, and that's the cultural lens that, or actually that's the cultural lens that uh, the early church quickly lost sight of, which 
led to the domination of Roman Catholicism. Well, and, and that's because it's the natural tendency. The natural tendency of human nature is is the law, um, then the gospel, sometimes, and then back to law, I must do. Um, instead of instead of the law that condemns us and says you, you can't, the gospel which frees us in Christ, and then the opportunity to live free in Christ, strengthened to engage with with others. And how do we engage? Of course, third third use of the law. None of us would say that's not a thing. The third use of the law is to say it's given back to us now in Christ. We can do this for others. Um, but I, we get to. I don't have to. I don't. I don't have to do that. Um, as if it's going to to condemn me to hell. I get to do this because I know it's good and God-pleasing to do it, and God has given me the opportunity. Before I couldn't, now I can. Yeah, exactly. And I think Paul Paul sums that up beautifully in in his rejoicing over the Philippians. Um, Dear listener, we rejoice over you as well, as, as I think you give us opportunity to serve you in our congregations, but also as you serve us and serve one another in our congregations. Um, one of the greatest privileges that we have as a congregation is to walk together and to serve one another. Um, and when people walk through our church doors, um, hopefully that's what they see. And if they aren't, then we have uh, opportunity within the strength of our Lord and Savior and within his power to pray that that changes um, that we can live out that way for our, our fellow man. Uh, be content in what we have, encouraging with what we can give um, and what we can do uh, for others, knowing everything is good. Everything is good in Christ, and we can rejoice in that. Anything else you have? We're coming up on the, well, we've got about nine minutes before the hour, and uh, I think I'm tapped out on, on Philippians I- 4. I would, uh, I would conclude by saying rejoice in the Lord always. All right. And so we will rejoice. What a beautiful way of describing Christian culture. <laughs>